Well, today is Father's Day, and this year for Father's Day, I got my dad what he's wanted for years now. I got a job. (laughs) What is a dad? A dad is that guy who checks out the bumps in the night. He gives us rides to school and practice. A dad is a human ATM machine for his kids and for his wife. To a little kid, a dad is the strongest guy in the world. He can do absolutely anything. A dad is that guy who wore denim shorts and socks with his sandals and embarrassed us to no end with his wardrobe. Dads are the ones who helped us with homework. They made the worst corny jokes. They taught us how to shoot free throws and they opened the jars. They killed the spiders. They officiated the funerals of our pets. Dads are the ones who gave us all that great life advice. Things like, don't stand in front of an open flame while eating Mexican food. Thank you, Dad. Words to live by. (laughs) Dads, they're self-proclaimed experts on everything. They've got an answer for any topic that could possibly come up. My dad is in my phone contacts right now as Dad Mr. Expert Man. That's what he's known as in our family. Dads are the ones who taught us that while growing old is inevitable, growing up is optional. So thank you today to all the dads in the room. Let's give them a round of applause. Now, Father's Day is a lot of fun, but for many of you, Father's Day is also a painful day because some of you in here did not have a good father. Uh, Some of your fathers may have been absent or abusive or dysfunctional, and all of us had fathers who were sinners. But the good news is that today we can all celebrate because we have a perfect heavenly father who has loved us lavishly. And that is worth celebrating. So here's what I want to do with you today. I want to do a little bit of call and response, audience participation here. I'm going to say, God is good, and I want you to say, all the time. And then I'm going to say, all the time, and I want you to say, God is good. Got it? All right, let's try it. God is good. All the time. And all the time. Pretty good. You guys may even be better than the 930 service. Don't tell them I told you that. All right, so open your Bibles with me this morning to Psalm 139, Psalm 139. Today we're gonna be looking at seven ways that God our Father has been good to us and then in those same seven ways how we are called to be good to our kids. Now make no mistake, God has been good to us in a lot more than just seven ways and we're called to invest in the next generation in a lot more than seven ways but we're just gonna focus on seven today. And even if you're not a parent, even if you don't have kids in this room today, that's okay, this still applies to you because this is how God has loved you and this is how you are called to relationally invest in those around you and in the next generation. So the first thing that God our Father gives us is this, significance. He gives us significance. He notices us, he sees us, he knows us, he's deeply interested in us. He says that we are valuable to him. Now look at verses 13 through 16 there in Psalm 139. It says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before even one of them came to be. So God gives us significance by reminding us that we are his Genesis chapters one and two remind us that we are made in his image. We are his. God gives us significance by reminding us that we belong to him. In November, there was a painting by Leonardo da Vinci that was sold and was bought by a private bidder at auction for a price of $450 million. 
Yeah, the most expensive piece of artwork ever sold. The painting's title is Salvador Mundi, Savior of the World. It's a picture of Jesus, as you can see. Now tell me, why is this painting so valuable? Uh, Because the materials used to create it aren't that expensive. I mean, a couple hundred bucks can probably get you some canvas and paint. So why $450 million? Well, because this was painstakingly, lovingly, beautifully, uniquely created by the hands of the master. And so are you. God made you fearfully and wonderfully just the way that he wanted you. And then you sinned and you messed it up. The masterpiece is smudged. It needs to be made new. And thankfully, that's what Jesus does for us when we are living in Christ. He's continually making us new, restoring his image in us so that we look more like him. When we are saved by Jesus, part of that in parenting terms is called adoption. Adoption. John chapter one, verse 12 says, that yet to all who did receive him, talking about Jesus, to all who received Jesus, to those who believe in Jesus' name, he gave the right to become children of God. What a promise. So that means that despite what we hear in a lot of the world, those who are not following Jesus, those who have not been covered by Christ's blood, are not considered children of God. But when we believe in Jesus and are baptized into the death and the resurrection of God's son, Jesus Christ, then we are adopted and become sons and daughters of God. John writes about this later in 1 John chapter 3. He's talking about those who are following Jesus, saying, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. That's your identity, church. You're a child of God if you're in Jesus Christ, and you are significant because you are his So, in the same way that God gives us significance, we're called to give our children significance. Let them know that you love them and that they hold value to you, not because of how they perform or what they do, but even on their worst days, you love them wildly because they belong to you. Uh, My dad's here today. I get to spend Father's Day with my dad. I'm excited about that. And I'm pretty sure that the only reason my dad named me Luke is so he could say, Luke, I am your father, (laughs) right? I've heard it a trillion times. It gets really old. I get it, okay? It's a cheesy line, but there's truth in that. My dad continually reminds me that I'm his. And I don't remember very many times growing up when my dad would just say, I love you. I don't remember him saying that. But what he's always said and what he still says to this day is, I love you, my son. That's what he says. I love you, my son. And even in that phrase, he's continually reminding me that he loves me not because of anything I do, not because of my performance, but because of who I am. I'm his, I am his son. So give your children significance, even on their bad days, even on the days when they misbehave, remind them that you love them, not because of what they do, but because of who they are, because they are yours and they're God's, fearfully and wonderfully made by the master's hands. Because God is good. And all the time. So the next thing God gives us as a father is security. Security. Now all of us in this room have at some time, in some way, felt insecurity. And for children, insecurity often comes from inconsistency or instability. Uh, For example, a kid grew up in a house where their mom and dad fought all the time, and they didn't know if their mom and dad were committed to each other or committed to them. Or a kid uh, grew up in a house where there was no stable rhythm. It was chaotic, and they didn't know where they were going to be when they went up, uh, woke up or went to sleep at night. They had no sense of security. They grew up in a home where maybe their parents even did tell them that they love them, but then they used those same mouths to belittle them over and over again. There was no consistency, so there is no security. Security comes from consistency. Look how God gives us security through consistency. God's, he's just always there. 
Psalm 139, verses seven through 12. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. So God gives us security because he's simply always there. Security comes from consistency. So parents, be consistent. And try to establish a daily rhythm in your household. And I know it's not possible for all of you, but if it's possible, be there when your kid wakes up in the morning. Be there when your kid goes to sleep at night. Give them a rhythm that they can rest in. And be consistent in your words as well. If you tell your kids that you're gonna give them ice cream, take them to get ice cream. If you tell your kids, I'm gonna ground you one more time if you do that, then don't flake on that. If they do it again, ground them. Be true to your word. Security comes from consistency. So give them the security that God gives us because God is good and all the time. The next thing that God gives us is acceptance. Acceptance. God knows us better than we even know ourselves. Take a look at this. The first four verses of Psalm 139. Look how well God knows us. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. So God knows us because he made us. And God made all of us in his image. And yet we're all made uniquely. We're all made differently. Look around. Everybody's a little bit different. Some of y'all are a little more different than others, but uh, just kidding, just kidding. (laughs) Look at the Romans chapter 12. It talks about how God uses our difference to work together for his glory. Verses six through eight. We have different gifts, it says, according to the grace given each of us. But we're all called to use those for his glory. Look, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to do mercy, do it cheerfully. So God knows us and he accepts us how we are wired and he lets us work within our gifts. He's not asking us to be something that we're not. He's asking us to continually grow in who we are, but he's not gonna force us into something we weren't made for. So for your kids then, instead of playing favorites or comparing your kids to other kids or trying to fulfill your dreams through your kids and force them to succeed so you feel good about yourself, instead, what if we were students of our children? And we sought to discover the unique and beautiful way that God wired them and then empower them to be who God created them to be. I'm thankful my parents did that. My dad, my dad was athletic and he played sports growing up. Now I am not athletic. I love playing sports, I'm just no good at them. And my mom, my mom was really artistic. She painted murals for a living for a while and I am not artistic. I could do a mean stick figure, but that's about it. And thankfully, my parents didn't force me into either one of those molds because I was different. I'm the oldest of six kids, and each of the six of us are all really different. Um, My parents, neither one of them are into woodworking, but I discovered that I really liked woodworking. So in high school, my parents let me save up a bunch of money and buy a bunch of woodworking tools and completely take over their garage and turn it into a wood shop. And then my next sibling, my sister Lydia, um, she has a flair for the dramatic, uh, to put it kindly. Um, she (laughs) She was born for the stage. She's a natural performer, and my parents saw that in her. And so they put her in all kinds of plays, and they took her to a gazillion show choir competitions. And now those gifts in my sister that my parents helped 
develop, she's using for her own ministry. And then the next girl, her name's Clara, and she's really nurturing, and she's way more athletic than most of the rest of us. And so my parents let her hone her gifts of nurturing and be a babysitter in high school. And they took her to gazillions of, of volleyball and basketball practices in high school and now in college. And then the next boy, his name is Carl. He's 16 years old. He, he has a very, very fine mind. I always called him a nerd, but he's legitimately brilliant. He's super smart. He loves to work with his hands. And so my parents bought him all kinds of history books that he would just devour. And they came up with science projects for him to do. And then the next boy, he's 14. His name's Conrad. He's hilarious. He has a natural gift of comedic timing and he loves music. He's also huge and strong as an ox. So my parents saw that and he's taking guitar lessons and he's learning how to do magic tricks. And my parents took down the porch swing off their back porch and replaced it with a punching bag so he can practice his boxing. And then there's my youngest sister. Her name is Caroline. And she is so imaginative and creative. And so she's always wrecking the entire house with these incredible projects that she's doing. And she's turning the house into a restaurant or a hospital or a candy store. And my parents saw who God had designed each of us to be. And they empowered us to live that out, even though we were different than they were. So here's the deal. God knows you. And he lets you work within your gifts. And he accepts you. So you should accept your kids. Seek to know them and empower them to be who God has created them to be. Because God is good, and all the time. The next thing we need to give our kids is love, because God gives us love. The Psalms say over and over and over, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And that kind of love, the Hebrew word for it is chesed. If you don't get a little bit of phlegm in your throat when you're saying it, you're not doing it right. Chesed. And chesed is steadfast love. It's loving kindness. It's love that doesn't leave. And this is the kind of steadfast love God has for us. It describes this love in Psalm 103. It says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. That's the steadfast love God has for us, and yet sometimes it's really hard to have that steadfast love for each other, isn't it? I'm reminded of one dad one time who prayed, Dear Lord, by your grace today, I've not been impatient. I have not lost my temper or been grumpy. I've not been judgmental or frustrated with anyone. But I'm about to get out of bed in a minute, and I'm going to need your help. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and let's be honest. Sometimes kids try your patience, don't they? Yeah, I'm brand new in my journey of parenting. Judah's only seven months old. But in that seven months, there have been days where that, he tested my patience. And I love our little boy so much. I'm wild about him, but I don't want to be naive. This kid's going to be a wretched sinner. He, he is going to break my heart. He's going to disappoint and disobey me. But there's nothing in the world that he could do to make me stop loving him. And church, there's nothing you can do to make your father stop loving you. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is one of the high points of the Bible. You've probably heard it at weddings or things like that or seen it on signs and stuff. It's called the love chapter. If you've not read 1 Corinthians 13, you should go read it this week. And this week I wrote up a little paraphrase of 1 Corinthians 13 from a parent's perspective. Let me share it with you. If I know all the right answers to all my kids' questions but don't have love, 
I might as well be talking to the wall. If I've read all the parenting books and have the perfect plan for my kids' futures, but don't have love, it's worthless. If I pour out all my time and energy making sure my kids eat three square meals a day, get their homework done, keep their teeth brushed, and wear clean underwear, but don't have love, it's useless. Love patiently tucks that kid in for the seventh time tonight. Love isn't jealous of the neighbor kids perfectly matching Instagram filtered first day of school outfits. Love doesn't have it all figured out. Love doesn't wag its finger when you're wrong or rub your nose in your mistakes. Love is wild about the truth and celebrates when you discover it. Love can deal with the tantrums and stay constant even in the mood swings. Love trusts God in every season. Love lasts from the positive pregnancy test through the morning sickness. Love are the arms that hold a crying toddler. Love is the kiss on the head before going to bed. Love is the parent who stays up waiting on the high schooler who stayed out too late. Love is the chest that swells with pride on graduation day and the tears of joy that fall on wedding day. Love is the callous knees from years of prayer. Cribs and high chairs and play dates and practices will all fade away, but love never quits. So love your kids relentlessly in the same way that God loves us because God is good and all the time. The next thing that God the Father gives us is praise. He praises us. He gives us words of affirmation. About 800 years ago, the German king, Frederick II, wanted to find out what the natural language of mankind was, what language babies would speak if they were left to themselves. And he surmised that it was German. And so, Frederick II uh, made an, an experiment, and it was a rather heartbreaking and tragic experiment. Frederick II, he took some babies from their mothers at birth, and he placed them in an isolated environment. And the nurses who cared for these babies were strictly instructed not to speak to them in any way. But Frederick II never found out what kind of language those babies would speak on their own, because even though the babies had plenty of food and care, every one of them died for lack of loving words. Wow. But thankfully, our God is a father who speaks words of love over his children. When Jesus is baptized in Matthew chapter three and verse 17, God says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And God delights in us in that same way. He, he rejoices over us. Look at the words of life he speaks over us in Zephaniah chapter three. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Jesus tells a story one time about a master and some of his servants. And when the master sees his servants performing well, he says to them this famous line, well done, good and faithful servant. It's a famous line. We've probably heard that. We want God to say that to us at the end of our lives, but we also want to hear that from the people who are most important to us, don't we? We want to hear them say to us, well done, because their opinions are valuable to us. But if we're honest with ourselves, most of us aren't good at praising and affirming each other, as, at least as good as we should be. One study has shown that a child needs four affirming comments for every critical comment that they receive. That's a lot of positive feedback necessary for them to be able to healthily handle the negative feedback. And unfortunately, most kids probably get the opposite. There's a lot of kids whose parents never tell them, I love you. There's a lot of kids who felt like they were never good enough. There's kids who heard things like, you can't do anything right. 
You'll never amount to anything. You're such a pain. Why can't you be more like your sister? Stop being a brat. And those words, they scar you for life. So here's what I want to challenge you to this week. If you think anything positive about anybody this week, say it to them. Every time you think something positive about someone, say it to them. Write them a note, send them a text. Better yet, tell it to their face. Even better yet, say it to them out loud in front of other people. That'll make them feel really good. If you think anything positive about somebody, say it. And for your kids, praise them. Praise them specifically and celebrate the wins. If you've been working with your kids on obeying the first time, then if you see them obey the first time, say, hey, I see you. Thanks for doing that. I can tell you're working on that. Or if you've been talking with them about respect and you see them, you tell them to do something hard and they obey you the first time without talking back, say, hey, thank you for being respectful right there. I appreciate it. Or well done on your homework. Or when you tell them you love them, don't just say, I love you. That's great. But tell them something specific. I love the freckles on your cheek. I love your laugh. It's one of my favorite sounds in the world. I love you because I think you're one of the funniest kids I've ever met. Be specific and praise the people in your life. Affirm each other. That's what God does for us with his words of life because God is good and all the time. The next thing the Father gives us is discipline. Discipline. Hebrews 12 says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it, at least eventually. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. So God disciplines us so that we can become holy, so that we can become like him, and he disciplines us because he loves us. If he didn't love us, he wouldn't care what we did. He wouldn't care what we turned out like. And scripture is full of examples of parents who did not discipline their children, who let their children have free reign, and it led them to a life of destruction. Discipline is momentary pain that will save your children from lifelong pain and perhaps even from eternal pain. So we are called to discipline our kids. Now, we don't discipline them because our kid embarrassed us in the store. We don't discipline our kids out of anger. We don't discipline our kids because we've had a bad day. We don't discipline our kids because we want the picture-perfect eight-year-old. The goal of our discipline should not be to have the perfectly well-behaved eight-year-old. The goal of our discipline should be to have a godly 30-year-old. That should be the perspective that we parent with. And also, the issue here is not about whether or not you spank your kid. If you spank your kids, fine. If you don't spank your kids, that's fine too. All I'm saying is that I got to be very well acquainted with my dad's belt growing up. And I remember my dad, he would have me over his knee saying, son, this hurts me worse than it hurts you. I'm doing this because I love you. And I was thinking, whatever, dad, this is cruel and unusual punishment. I'm sick and tired of growing up under this communist regime. (laughs) And my dad also said to me repeatedly, he said, boy, I brought you into the world and I can't take you out of it. (laughs) And I didn't always see it then, but I'm thankful now that my parents disciplined me out of love to teach me right from wrong and to teach me what it meant to live a godly life because that's what God does for us because God is good and all the time. 
So finally, the last thing and the best thing that God gives us is himself. And we are called to pass him on to the next generation as well. In Psalm 78, it describes the process of passing on the faith to the next generation, saying, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we've heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. So we have a responsibility to teach our kids how to follow Jesus. We talked about this last week from Deuteronomy chapter six, that the best thing you can do for your kids is teach them to love God. Give them a godly environment, give them a godly education, give them a godly example. Did you know that studies have shown that nearly 80% of Christians make their decision to follow Jesus before the age of 18? And the majority of those decisions are actually made before age 14. And other studies have shown that what a person believes by the age of 13, they will likely believe for the rest of their lives. Wow. So if I came over to your house this afternoon and asked your kids what they believe, what would they tell me? If I asked your kids what it meant to follow Jesus, would they be able to tell me based off of how they've seen you live? You see, if your kids come to church and they see you sing songs to Jesus and then later on in the week, you use that same mouth to curse at them or to yell at them, what do they think following Jesus means? If they see you come and and take communion and thank Jesus for dying on the cross on your behalf and forgiving you and loving you even when you were a sinner, but then on the way home, you flip off the driver who cut you off or you speak bad about that person who wronged you, what are they gonna think it means to be a Christian? They're gonna think it's just the Sunday morning routine that has no bearing on the rest of your life and they'll walk away. So teach your kids what it means to follow Jesus day in and day out faithfully because we must be what we want our children to become. That's a high calling. But God is good. And all the time. I know we've thrown a lot at you today. Seven things, that's a lot to remember. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down through that list of seven things in your program. I want you to write a number by each thing, one through seven. I want you to put a one by the thing you think you're best at and a seven by the thing you think you're worst at. And if you don't know what you're worst at, ask your spouse, I bet they'll tell you. (laughs) And then I want you to pick one of those things that you're not too good at And I want you to focus on that this week in your interactions with your kids or in your interactions with other people. If you need to create a household that's a little more disciplined, do it. If you need to pray in front of your kids to give them God, do it. If you need to affirm people more in how you talk, do it. Work on those things that you're not good at this week. And also, I'm no parenting expert at all, but one of the things that we love to do here at Plainfield Christian Church is walk alongside you and partner with your families. You guys seek to follow Jesus. We've got a great children's ministry team over here in the treehouse. Their offices are kind of right across this wall. And if you have any questions about parenting, if you want to get plugged into a community of your peers, if you want people to walk alongside you, if you've got anything that you need, go talk to them about raising your kids. They will have some great resources for you. If you've got older kids, we've got some great youth ministers at the pier that would love to talk with you. If you have questions about how to find those people, find somebody in a green t-shirt today and ask them. Many of you I I know came through door five over here by the treehouse. And on the wall by door five, there's a resource center. It's got great books and resources, materials you can take home and use as you seek to learn how to lead your family better. We've also included in your bulletin this week a list of some of our very favorite parenting resources. And if you want to take a sneak peek at some of those before you get them or try them, we've got a a lot of copies of them over here in the children's ministry office. And I know they'd be happy to let you take a look and give you some pointers. Here's the bottom line today. 
Bottom line is this, if you want to parent your kids well, you first have to remember that you are a child of God. You are the father's kid, and you're only gonna lead and love them well when you are led and loved by Jesus. Today's Father's Day, so dads, good fathers call God Father. And Jesus, he loved kids. He saw those messy little rugrats running around, and in Mark chapter 10, he said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And so what we're gonna do today is we're gonna come before our father, before our dad, just like a little child in total trust and total faith, because you're a sinner, and you're not gonna be a perfect parent, and you're not gonna have perfect kids Read the Bible, the only perfect parent is God and the only perfect kid is Jesus. But Jesus came and he lived perfectly, the life that we couldn't live, and he died humbly in our place and he rose victoriously to rescue us from our rebellion from the Father and to bring us back into God's family so that we could be adopted as sons and daughters of God. So today, if you've not been adopted yet, if you're not a child of God, if you're ready to come home to the only perfect Father who will love you perfectly and unconditionally, today is the day come to him because God is good and all the time.